Happy New Year, everyone. Do you know what every good dad waits to say on a Sunday like this? I haven't seen you since last year. Junior Church, you're dismissed to walk. Five years old through fourth grade. Have you ever had a moment where you witnessed greatness? Okay, I'm I'm talking something superb. Like when we were in high school, our football team went to state twice, and it was was superb. It was great. Uh, For many of us, when we think of greatness, we'll kind of gravitate towards sports. There are unbelievable comebacks, um, such as the Red Sox over the Yankees in 2004 World Series. Or... When you think of greatness, when I think of greatness, I th- there should have been a picture. Who's this? Michael Jordan, the real goat of, base, of basketball, okay? He, it's not that whiny guy who thinks he's the good one now, okay? Um, how about this person? Mary Lou Retton, that's right, winning the gold in 1984 Olympics. There's another one that is just amazing to me. Miracle on Ice, Ice, the 1980 powerhouse of a hockey team that beat the USSR. Uh, The USSR had four gold medals. They were heavily favored to win again. The U.S. team was a bunch of college kids who had never faced the talent and the might of the Soviet hockey. The U.S. team wasn't even supposed to make it past the first few games, let alone win the gold. In all sports and in all history, there are moments of greatness where people do these monumental things. They do these great things and we get to witness them. These people, whether they're athletes, politicians, they're looked at supreme image of greatness in that particular field. We're starting a new year with our whole new theme. And we're going to hit it today in Hebrews chapter 12. And in the book of Hebrews, you could really sum up the whole book as this. Jesus is better. Jesus is better, supreme, he's sufficient. The entire book is focused on Jesus is better than other things. It's been writ- it was written to a group of Jewish Christians who are being tempted to leave Christianity and go back into Judaism instead of sticking through and pushing forward with their faith. The writer of Hebrews doesn't just present Jesus as this alternative, but as the better, the superior way of living, emphasizing the clarity and the confidence that Christ is better in every way, no matter what we need. Jesus is not just superior um, like our athletes. We think, I've had some arguments with some people who think that Michael Jordan has been replaced by a guy who I don't think he's good enough to be even named up here, okay? And if you disagree with it, does anybody disagree with me? See that door? (laughs) But what's the problem, really, with any sports athlete that we think is the pinnacle? One day, they will be replaced. Somebody else better. We're still waiting for the basketball greater one to come. But somebody will always replace them. 
And what Hebrews is saying is, no matter how long you wait, nobody can replace Jesus. According to the writer of Hebrews, Jesus is better than Moses, better than the angels, than the Old Testament priests. He's the central focus of all that is in that message, not just Hebrews, but the entire Bible. And when this book was written, Christians were under tremendous persecution, especially those who had been left Judaism and come into Christianity. And now it's trying to make them leave. Have you ever changed something and felt, man, this is harder than I thought it was. I want to go back to the way it was. That's kind of what they were thinking of. By the time we get to Hebrews chapter 12, the writers has already demonstrated the superiority of Jesus. And then he turns to the, encourage those who are reading this. So in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated at the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Let's pray. God, we come before you on this first Sunday of the year. And I thank you that we have the better one. We have your son, Jesus, that we can look to. And I ask God right now that you would speak to us through your word. Fill us with your spirit that we can understand what we need to do to carry on the momentum that you have called this church to fulfill. And in Jesus we all pray. Amen. Now in verse 1, what was the first word there? Therefore, whenever you see a therefore, you need to see what it's there for, okay? What that's saying is, the writer is summing up everything previous. Because of everything I've already written, because of everything I've already said, based on that, now we can move on to the next part of that verse. Because Jesus is superior, you can make it. You can endure. Because Jesus is the superior one, with that thinking, now we can make sense of this next one. Because of all that, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses. How many of you have ever been to a very large sports stadium? Anyone? Okay. Um, I've been to the Coliseum in Fort Wayne. That's not huge, I know. It houses 13,000 seats. Um, I think that's a lot. Well, then, I've also been to Wrigley Field in Chicago. That's 41,649 seats. Can you imagine that? I was at a church down in Louisville, and it seats 22,000. And I stood on the stage and grabbed the pulpit, and I went, yeah. And the minister I was with went, uh-uh, and he got down real quick just thinking about it. If you go down to Lucas Oil Stadium, the seats will be filled with what colors? Blue, Blue and white. That's right. They'll be shouting of the fans, um, wanting their teams to win. You might even see a few people today wearing sports colors because of who's playing. We'll see which one of them is right. The shouting of the fans is deafening in those arenas. Now, with that thinking... The shouting of the fans, the writer says, 
we are surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses. Witnesses aren't silent. Witnesses are proclaiming and telling the story. Now, who are these witnesses? In order to understand that, you've got to go back to chapter 11, and the writer gives a list of those who acted in faith, those who are looking for the day that Christ would come. They did good things for God with the hope of Christ. There was Abraham, Enoch, Isaac, Jacob, Noah, and more and more. And the writer here says, because we are surrounded by this deafening roar of all of these witnesses, we are surrounded by that. You know what that first tells me? Whenever we're in our faith, when we're moving in our faith with God, we are not alone. We are surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses. Does it ever feel like that Christians are under attack, that we are being marginalized, that we are being pushed back? Well, guess what? We are not alone. We can endure because Christ is superior and we're not alone. We have this deafening crowd of all the witnesses. We have their testimony. We have their examples. And because of Jesus, because of this huge crowd, now we can move on to the meat of these verses. Since we've been surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us strip off every weight. Other translations will say throw off every hindrance. Let's get rid of the load. Let's get rid of, get rid of the weight. What does this mean? Well, in their time, remember, these were Jews who were wanting to go back. They were Jews, became Christians, and they're thinking of going back to Judaism. It could have had a reference to the legalistic load of the Jewish traditions. Get rid of those weights. Quit trying to go back to that. For you and I, it can mean throwing off the legalism and burdens that are placed on us through traditions or demands of people. If we do not have Christ, if we do not have the gospel at the center of our life, we need to throw off the hindrances, throw off those weights, and stay focused. But it's not just get rid of boundaries. When I first read that when I was younger, I was like, yeah, let's get rid of boundaries. Let's get rid of all that. Let's just have a little more freedom. But look what it says. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. If we're not careful... How many of you ever heard the phrase, don't throw the baby out? That's just a weird statement, if you don't know the background, but everybody take one bath in the same water, and the dad got to go first, because he was the filthiest, and then the baby was last, and that water would be so gross that, make sure you get the baby out before you throw it, that's how gross it would be, that's what that statement but what that meant is it's all that collaboration, all that stuff mixed together, and sometimes you can throw the good stuff out with the bad. Our freedom in Christ is not freedom to sin. Just because I have freedom in Christ does not mean, well, I can go look at that things, or I can go experience those things. Hey, I have freedom. That's not what it means. In faith, there are boundaries that must be established to help us move from legalism, but keep us out of the sin of lawlessness. We're to throw off burdens and sins that trip us up, entangle us. And entanglement is either legalism or sinfulness that keeps us from the momentum Christ intends for us to have. 
That's that first blank there. It is legalism or sinfulness that keeps us from the momentum that Christ intends. We need to detangle ourselves from cares of this world and the sins that entangle us. Why do we need to be untangled? Well, look what it says. Especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We need to lose legalism and habitual sin so that we can run the race that God has set before us. How many of you like running? I see like six or seven weird people. Okay, I, I, There's no reason to run unless something's chasing you. That, that's my philosophy. And I don't have to be faster than it. I just need to be faster than somebody else. Okay, So if a bear's chasing me, I just need to be faster than one of you. Running is not fun for me. But why do we run? What is the purpose of it? To get somewhere quickly. To endure and get to the race. And if you're really racing, what do you want? You want the prize. You want the medal, the reward. Okay? We untangle our... Uh, God is calling us to a certain path to run a race, and we need to untangle ourselves because He has called us to run this race. And we untangle, uh, <laughs> I can't speak today. We untangle ourselves through repentance and obedience to Christ. Now, look at that. We untangle ourselves with repentance, saying, God, I have failed you. I have sinned, and I, I am sorry for that. I want to turn away from that. And obedience. It's not just I'm sorry I've sinned, and then I sit down and do nothing. It's I'm sorry I've sinned, and I start fulfilling what you have called me to do. I start running the race. I start obeying your commands. And once we untangle, then the work of momentum won't be hindered. That's what that race is. We get rid of that, and now we can run. Once we are entangled, once we have momentum, what do we do? How do we keep momentum? And go to verse 2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in a place of honor beside God's throne. It's a simple command. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And yet, how many times do we fail that every day? Do you know why? Do you know why it's hard to keep our eyes on Jesus? Because we keep our eyes on sin at the same time. You've seen one of those um, chameleons, their eyes go different ways. We can't do that, okay? We're not supposed to. And if we start looking at sin, we cannot look at Jesus. And that causes us to go in the wrong direction. We choose to look away from Jesus and back to that sin that keeps entangling us. That's why so many people lose their momentum in their faith. That's why they don't keep growing in their faith, in their Christianity. The, the Greek language used by the author of Hebrews here points to a definite idea of looking away when it says we look to Jesus, it means looking away from something so that we can peer and focus on Jesus. You cannot run effective race by looking behind you or even to your sides. If you do that, you'll trip. 
I've heard coaches say this. You keep your eyes forward and you keep running. If you're going to keep the momentum of your faith going, you must run with your eyes fixed on the finish line, fixed on Jesus. But don't sometimes we start looking at our opponents of the world or even our comrades, our teammates, making sure we're doing just a little better than them and we take our eyes off Jesus. Jesus is the champion of the faith. Jesus initiates and perfects our faith is what it said. Jesus is the starting line and the finish line. That's what that means. You can't start the faith without him and you cannot finish the race without him. And Jesus is the momentum that keeps you going in the midst of the race, which means Jesus is all of it. He's there to begin, he keeps you going, and he's the end. And it sounds simple, but we need to answer a very important question. How do we know that Jesus is able to keep us in the start all the way to the finish? Why is he the superior momentum that carries us through? And the answer is the cross. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now because of the cross, he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Why did Jesus endure the cross? Why did Jesus go through that pain and torment? Because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross knowing the difference it would make. He kept his eyes focused on the mission that God had sent him for, even in the midst of horrible suffering. But he said he not only began the work, but he finished it. And now he sat down at the right hand of of God. The writer here tells us to consider the example of Jesus. Look at verse 3. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people when they, and then you won't become weary and give up because of everything he's done. Therefore, after his sacrifice, after he initiated the faith, after he finished the race, therefore we can keep going. He purchased the redemption. This year's got a... This year's got a lot of hurdles coming up. How many of you are really looking forward to all the political ads? It's coming. There's going to be a lot of hurdles. A lot of changes in our culture is coming. The politics, the entertainment, the sports, they're all distractions that entangle us from our real mission we can be assured that even in the midst of trouble, even in the midst of the trouble of this world, even when the world is shaken, when there's wars, rumors of wars, we have an unstoppable momentum to carry us through the finish line. We have an unstoppable momentum, and that is Jesus. And I think sometimes, Christians, we forget that. I can't face this world on my own. If I started to face it on my own, I'd be in jail or dead because I'd make so many people mad. Because I'd do it for my glory. I'd do it for my desires, my wants. 
But through Christ, when I gain my focus on Him, when I get going in His direction, then all the hostility, all the problems, all the hurdles are manageable because He is fueling me. He is carrying me through. He is the one giving me fuel. We have a lot coming up this year as a church family. There are things coming up that are going to try and hinder us, that are going to try and stop us. And I'm going to tell you right now, when a church starts growing, when a church starts doing the work of God, Satan attacks more. Satan hates you. And he's going to do everything he can to cause division. He's going to do everything he can to cause divisive thoughts or divisive ideas that may sound good, but they distract us from fulfilling the work that God has initiated. And it is our job to strip off every weight, especially the sins that so easily entangle us, so that we can run. So when I was in baseball, I loved baseball, and uh, the coach would tell me to steal a, a second base, and he'd give you that sight signal, or from second, I'd steal third, and there was this one kid, man, he could hit the ball. And he'd get out there and, and he'd get on second and he'd look and the coach would give him the sign and he'd start jogging. Now, what's going to happen when he jogs? He's out. That ball is a lot faster. And he, this guy would get so mad. I ran. He goes, no, you didn't run. And so pretty soon we had in practice had to help this guy run. We all had to run behind him. And if he got behind us, we had to come by and slap him. The guy did not like getting slapped by his teammates. And we come behind him and start slapping him on the back. Guess what happened? He ran. Then we found out he was fast. He became very fast. He was motivated because he didn't want to get hit. And then all of a sudden he realized he could get more points. He could score more runs by running. And you know what, church? Sometimes all we're doing is jogging in our faith. Oh, I'm making momentum. I'm gaining ground. And Satan's laughing. Why is it that the American church is dying? Because we sit. We sit in the sins that so easily entangle us. We put a smile on our face and say, Happy New Year. And we go through the motions until next year and we call it good. Through Christ, we have, can you back up one slide? We can be sure that we have an unstoppable momentum. Unstoppable momentum. When my father-in-law was young, there was this hill behind his house, and uh, he went out there and he found this big rock, and he wanted to see how big it was, so he started digging around it, and it became, he realized it was a very large boulder, and what's any boy going to do when he finds out there's a big boulder on top of a hill? It's going to push it down. And so he started digging it out, making sure, and then it started teetering, and so he got behind and he's pushing on. And he's, he's a little kid. He wasn't a big guy even when he was older. And so he was this little kid. And he gets it rolling. It smashed through trees. It smashed through them to get to the destination. 
Jesus is the rock of our salvation. And when his rock starts moving, when he starts going in momentum, nothing can stop him. And you and I need to be on that, following him, going after that same thing. He's already run the race. Jesus has finished it. And he's calling for us to come into victory. And we have an unstoppable momentum because Jesus is superior. Isn't it time we start running? Isn't it time we start helping each other? And if you're slowing down, guess what? I'll slap you. I'll come behind you and start slapping you to get you going with me. And that means you have to do it to me too. Because we are not in this alone. We are surrounded by this huge crowd of witnesses. And we can, therefore, go make a difference. We can go with momentum into not only this world, but into eternity. How many of you? Well, is there something today that you are entangled in? Is there an attitude? A bitterness, a sinful habit that you need to repent of, that you need to unburden yourself with. There are people in this room who are entangled in sins, and some of them, it's just how it is, and we just live with it. Maybe your walk with God has grown stagnant, and you feel like you're just going through the ritual of church attendance, talking the Christian talk, but your walk with God has lost all its energy. God has called us to run with him, to run the race that he has set before us. So what do we need to do? Repent and obey. (laughs) Repent of those weights that you have picked up that he has never meant for you to carry. Accept that God forgives, and just like the prodigal son's father, he will run to you and help you run to the finish line. God is here for us. He doesn't want us to do it alone. He has called for us to be a church, to join together, and then to run with his momentum. What would happen this morning if we would determine to treat sin and the entanglements of life like a disease? Let's start thinking of all those sins that you are entangled with that just keep pulling at you. What if we treated them like a disease that that drains your energy and and sucks the life out of us. Imagine how much better our life would be if we said, no, I need to get rid of these. I need my life to get healthier, and so I'm going to do things to make sure that disease of sin doesn't keep coming into my life. Imagine how much more we could accomplish for the kingdom of God. Imagine how much less stress and anxiety we would feel. Imagine how free we would be really running the race. There was one year at at baseball, I hit it, man, I thought it was a great hit, and I barely got to first before they threw it. And I was was going to win. I, I couldn't stand this team. They were so much better than us, and they were so mean. And I wanted to run and get there. I wanted to finish this game. And so that kid who we helped learn to run, he was up after me, and he hit it. And here he comes running after me. And I sprinted as fast as I could. I sprinted, and as I hit the second bag, turned, I could hear footsteps behind me. I knew he was coming up close. And so I started running as 
fast as I could. I kept running, and there was this smile on my face because as I came around the third base, everybody in the stands was standing up. They were cheering. The coach was going, go, go, and I was booking it as fast as I could. I saw at one moment, slide, and I'm like, it's too late. I am running, and I went right through the catcher. He didn't have the ball, so I won. And I turned around, and the team cheered. We actually won the game. But you know what it took to run? A decision to just go. To just go for it. To run with all of our might. Imagine the life of true freedom, real power, unstoppable momentum when we get into the momentum of Christ. And all of heaven starts cheering as we're running the race. And God is saying, go, go. Don't you want that for your faith? Don't you want the world to be looking at us and saying, oh my goodness, look how fast they are. Look how good they are. When we come into relationships with Jesus Christ, we are brought into an unstoppable momentum that brings us into the kingdom of God, that propels us to that seat in heaven where we get to go and hear God say, well done, good job. This year, there's going to be problems. There's going to be a lot of problems. But we have a God who's unstoppable. There's going to be things coming at us, wanting to hurt us, hinder us, but we have a God who is unstoppable. And it is time we live like it. It is time we stand up and proclaim that Jesus is the initiator and perfecter of our faith and we are running after him. Are you ready to do that this year? Because we're going to get on momentum with him. Let's stand and let's pray. God, we come before you. And Lord, I do thank you. I thank you for the example that Jesus set before us. I thank you for the power of his testimony, the might of his love and and his grace and mercy displayed at the cross. And God, forgive us. Not only do we let the sins of this world trip us up, but sometimes we just accept them as okay. And so, God, I ask you to convict us of these things that keep us from running with endurance, running with focus, for running with you. So, Lord, help us to do that. Wake us up as Christians. Wake us up as your church so that we can follow the momentum that you've already given us. And in Jesus we pray. Amen.